Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. We're having coffee today. <laughs> well, welcome to yet another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. If you are drinking coffee, congratulations. Um, and with me on the line uh, is an incredible founder, incredible entrepreneur. I'm super privileged to have him here on the Built in California edition of the Map Round Show. His name is Guillermo Yamas. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Guillermo, um, thank you for being here, man. Um, I think you're doing some amazing work. Uh, we're just chatting uh, before we went live that uh, of some of the cool feedback that you've been getting from the market. So lots to get into today. But for our viewers uh, and uh, audience around the world who doesn't know what I know, uh, give us the elevator pitch. Uh, what do we need to know about you? About me? Uh, well, I've, uh, <clears throat> I've dedicated 26 plus years to healthcare technology focused on supply chain. Grew up in Spain, got to the U.S. in 86. Um, and basically, I'm just, you know, every single year I've been in the U.S. has been dedicated to hopefully helping improve healthcare one way or another. Um, you know, we try and, you know, I've tried in many different ways. Um, and and I, as, as long as I think um, I'm making a difference, then I keep going. That's that's basically me in a nutshell. And more importantly, is that your uh, super yacht there at the back? Uh, you know, I I wish that this was all um, real. It's it's virtual, but it is my way of uh, channeling the universe to make it happen. Well, it sounds like uh, listen when you get that yacht. Remember, you know what they say about people and yachts: like, don't own the yacht, know someone who owns it. <laughs> That's true, right? They say those are the two days that they, the two happiest days are when you get the boat and when you sell it, because in the middle it's a whole bunch of expense. I don't yeah, exactly. know. I like them. I like them. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a way of visualizing and getting the universe to uh, to bring happiness my way, at least from a material perspective. Yeah, so I actually worked on super yachts when I was much younger, uh, about 15 years ago. So I got my uh, captain's license actually for super yachts. So technically when you get your yacht… Then I can then call you. Two, as long as it's not bigger than 200 gross tons, then you're good. <laughs> wow, all right. I know, right? Okay. I know, but uh, it's an incredible experience, though. Uh, CPR, it's like it's uh, it's it's amazing. Um, but let's talk about uh, what you're doing with uh, Notosphere. So, what's the elevator pitch around Notospheres? What are you guys doing? Basically, what we're doing is, um, and this is something that most people are not aware of, is um, the 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 way that today manufacturers and distributors. Uh, communicate recalls to healthcare provider organizations is a pretty slow uh, and ineffective process. And so what we're doing is changing that, uh, turning it electronic and uh, increasing accuracy and reducing effort and confusion. Okay. So let's paint the picture of what happens here. So you have um, a medical manufacturer, right? Or a drug manufacturer um, and something they, it goes to market gets put into a hospital and something goes wrong they now need to recall that from the from their customer base essentially and where you guys come in is you're you're creating efficiencies in terms of like the communications process around the recall uh, uh, initiative uh, is that loosely correct what did i miss yeah, um, th there's a couple of additional things, right? So one is um, a recall doesn't always mean pulling the item from use necessarily. So that's what you and I and pretty much every other person walking down the street would understand. But there's other things, <clears throat> excuse me, that the FDA considers recalls. 
and it's basically alerts to the hospitals. For example, a software update could be a recall, right? And there's plenty of those lately. Um, or a change in the way a particular item is used. So those are things that the providers, right, the healthcare providers need to be aware of. And so the FDA considers that a recall for the purpose of if you don't use, if you don't do this, there might be harm to patients, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing I would say is, so, and, but what you said is true. We speed up and revolutionize, <clears throat> excuse me, the process like- of communicating between the manufacturer and the, and the, uh, and the providers, right? The hospitals, the health systems. Um, I think what we also do is we, we have a, we have a platform with functionality that, that enables hospitals to better manage the actions that they need to take when they react to a recall. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things when I was chatting to you initially was like how big a problem this actually is, because especially in the medical space, right? Because like, let's just say for argument's sake, like you're on the operating table um, and you have an IV drip in your arm and then you've got the medical device that determines how much pain meds, morphine, as an example, should be just, you know, pumped into your blood system. If that is wrong, like you can have a serious issue like you could you you know i mean we're talking about life and death here in many cases um how big is this problem like what does the average consumer man in the street woman in the streets uh not know about the number of recalls that actually happens every single year but you know you're you're hitting it right on the nail matt because the, the the issue is um the number of recalls has escalated significantly over the last 10 years uh so today you know you could you could say there's an average, and it varies obviously from year to year, but you could have 4,500, um, you know, events uh, happening, recall events, right? Now, just to understand it, this is not like when, uh, you know, a car manufacturer says the airbags are faulty, so every single car manufactured in the last 10 years need, needs to come back in. Recalls in, in the medical space sometimes affect every unit built, but many times affect a particular batch or lot or serial number group, right? Um, and that is because um, they're found to be out of out of uh, tolerance or out of specs or, you know, those kind of things. But it is actually a lot more than what people think. So the average uh, person walking down the street that hasn't much to do with healthcare is going to be totally unaware of the fact that there are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of recalls happening every year or that the number of units being recalled, for example, I think this number was for 2020, if I remember correctly, but it was more than 650 million units being recalled. Now, today, Matt, I would say, now that I think about it, that anybody that's aware, for example, of the Philips uh, CPAP and respirator recall, which has been in the news extensively, right, that has probably raised the awareness of the average person walking down the street, but they still probably only know of that one and a handful of others and they don't understand that it's it's literally thousands yeah it's a i think the number i saw recently was like four and a half thousand uh, recalls every single year well, i mean it's ridiculous right i mean you would you don't expect walking into like a private medical hospital <laughs> that like there's so much volume and liquidity in the in the medical uh, hardware and software man you know recalls space it's quite a frightening number you know it is but i i look at it on the from the other perspective, right, from the other side, which is 
It also means that manufacturers are really good at determining when something needs to be addressed and act, and act real quick, right? So if you think about it back maybe 15 years ago, there were maybe two to 300 recalls a year. Um, I'm not sure necessarily that's because items didn't need to be recalled. I think, you know, there's been a lot of um, effort and investment made to make sure that um, suppliers can identify these problematic situations quickly, right? And more importantly, then uh, hospitals are trying to figure out ways to get notified as quickly as possible so that they can stop, you know, the, the effect of, of or, or the negative effects of any of these products as soon as possible. It's a good point. Um, let's talk about how you guys are changing things. So let's talk about the, the, the status quo currently. How are medical recalls uh, managed? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. So, um, well, let's start with the communication piece. So when a manufacturer today determines that a recall needs to be issued and something that's important to understand um, is the vast majority of recalls today are voluntary, meaning the manufacturer issues the recall before anybody forces them to, right? So um, it's not like the FDA is slapping everybody, telling them you need to recall this, you need to recall that. It's more like 99.9% of the times manufacturer takes the initiative, right? Because obviously they're not in the business of trying to harm patients. They want to help. Um, then comes the determination of who's affected by the recall. And that's where the FDA also gets involved, right? The manufacturer needs to file a communication plan with the FDA and explain how they determined who's affected, who received affected product, and how they're going to get notified. Typically, today, uh, that involves paper notices. Um, and I know that, you know, when I tell folks that are not in healthcare that that's the way this gets communicated, they look at you like they're wondering, have you had one too many to drink? Are you just making this up? How is, you know, but the fact of the matter is that's, the official channel for most recalls today is paper. Um, and and here's where things get a little tricky. So the paper goes to a multitude of locations to a specific hospital. So you and I might think about a healthcare organization like, say, Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. But that organization receives supplies in a multitude of locations. And that's what the supplier then uses to determine what locations received effective product and sends the paper alerts. 
Bottom line is that's not how a hospital manages recalls. Typically, they have either a recall coordinator or a triage group, somebody that standardizes their approach. And this is where the time lapse starts to take place, right? Because somebody FedExes overnight an alert. And by the way, those are, when I say paper, they're FedExed, right? So it's not cheap. um, And it happens to tens of thousands of locations. But what ends up happening, the irony the irony of it all is that the average in this country um, is that it takes more than 16 days for the right person at the hospital to hear about the recall, hmm. right? To receive that paper alert. So you have suppliers paying a ton load of money to FedEx overnight, and yet the objective isn't quite accomplished. Um, and you mentioned something that's interesting, Matt. So if you think about that process today, when that paper takes 16 days and you're scheduled to have a surgery with an invasive product, I mean, it could be, you know, a, a drug delivery device, but it could also be an implantable, right? It, you know, it could be a hip implant. It could be anything, right? Um, and and you're scheduled to have that surgery next week, but it's going to take two weeks for somebody at the hospital to really figure out that the hip they're going to put in you is recalled, You've got a problem as a patient. That's not a desirable situation, right? Obviously, as a provider, healthcare organization is that's not a you know desirable either. Obviously, but as a patient, if you knew this was like you know possible for it to happen, pretty sure none of us would you know would be sitting there feeling comfortable, right? We'd be nervous. Yeah, absolutely. But the fact of the matter is like. FedExing 10,000 documents to go, hey, there's a problem with your device. It's kind of like, <laughs> you know, Web 1. You know what I mean? Yep. Like it's it's like even before Web 1, and we're already kind of entering this Web 3 conversation, you know. So I think uh, it's, it is, it's so interesting. I mean, it's, it's even in the financial services space in America. Like I think actually in many respects, South Africa has a more advanced payments ecosystem specifically because of the, the constraints there. Um, you know, like we can send money between banks, no problem, EFT, da, 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 like Apple Pay, QR codes, USSD, like and a lot of that stuff you don't get here. Like, like in America, a lot of people don't even know what USSD means. Meanwhile, we've got, you know, hundreds of millions of people using USSD every single day. Um, so it is very interesting to see that that is still the way that it has always been. And I think this is what makes you uh, and Notosphere and your team so valuable in the sense of like you can really ch- make a difference to the way that recalls are actually happening. To your point, though, this isn't just about like life and death, right? So it's not always the case. What are some of the uh, recall types? So you get different classes, for instance. Yeah. <clears throat> what, do, you, do you facilitate like all types of classes or yeah. is it just like the main, you know, no, 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 no. life we or do, death stuff? You've got to think about Notosphere really as a as a communications platform, right? So, so it's not just about, hey, you need to pull something from the shelf, right? It's uh, There's a lot of different situations or, or instances in which a supplier needs to communicate with a provider. Uh, it could be, you know, so think about, I'll, I'll just use a couple of examples. One would be the suppliers start seeing that there's events with a particular product, but they determine it's because it's being used incorrectly. So there's nothing wrong with the product, right? But it's, and it's it might be user error. They might issue more clear instructions for use. 
what's called an IFU. Um, in other cases, they just, you know, they could determine the, the original IFUs were wrong, right? This happens. Um, so they so they are trying to then tell people, listen, in order to not harm a patient or not have undesirable outcomes, here's what you need to do. That's just as important as telling somebody, pull the item from the shelf, right? So you have, you know, um, you asked about different types. So you have obviously what's a, a, a removal. That's basically stop using the item, take it off the shelf, don't, don't touch anybody with it. Then you have corrections. It could be a software update. It could be use it differently, right? You have um, urgent product advisories and field service alerts, right? There might be a particular type of device that needs an upgrade or, you know, and, and th some of these have been in the news, right? You, you hear more and more about cybersecurity issues, right? Like you, you might have infusion pumps that are all connected to the web. And that's the other thing, right? If you think about it today, you walk into a patient room and there's a lot of machines and a lot of them are actually connected to the hospital's network and they, you know, they're pinging automatically for software updates and other things, right? So um, those things add complexity as well. But Notosphere basically at its, uh, in its heart, it's a communications platform. And in fact, there's other types of communications even not related to recalls that are also uh, viable through our platform. <laughs> So um, let's talk about some of the, the actual work that you have done. So um, I know you've done some work with uh, Baptist Health uh, in Arkansas. Um, could you maybe paint a real-world view on, like, what does this Notosphere communications tool realize in terms of benefit uh, for healthcare workers? So if you think about it today, and yes, we have done uh, <clears throat> really good work with Baptist Health in Arkansas, uh, and and some others, you know, University of Chicago uh, Medical Center and a few others. But um, to your question, um, what ends up happening today is these paper alerts are showing in multiple places, like I said earlier, within the organization. And that hinders the ability for any healthcare provider organization to properly coordinate the execution of actions around recalls. So think about it this way. If you have a multi-hospital health system, let's say, somebody with 12 hospitals, right? Some organization with 12 hospitals. And each one of these hospitals is receiving multiple alerts for the same recall and in different places. So they could show up at a floor where a nurse ends up reading it. They could show up at a warehouse, a receiving dock, risk management, you know. So any given hospital could literally end up receiving 18 of these FedExes for the same recall. When that happens, from a corporate perspective and from a risk management perspective, that's not a desirable situation, right? Because now you have people across the organization that could that will interpret what needs to happen. And I say this, you know, purposefully. It's an interpretation because a lot of times these paper notices are several pages of, you know, a lot of text explaining what needs to happen. And um, that presents a problem, right? Um, for example... I've had a situation where somebody, and this happens often, um, saw the recall, uh, you know, the paper alert, and they see at the top that it says voluntary recall. And they were assuming what that meant was that they had the option to either act on the recall or not. They thought, oh, it's voluntary for me. The, the reality was it wasn't. It, it, this is just the manufacturer telling you I am voluntarily issuing this recall, 
But this person suddenly understanding something totally different. When that happens, um, you have a problem, right? If you're in charge of risk management for that healthcare organization and a nurse or somebody else at a hospital has decided to tell you that they've acted on the recall when in reality nothing's happened because they thought it's voluntary, you now have a problem. You're going to have recall items on the shelf that are going to be used on patients, right? Mm -hmm. So we eliminate all that. And we basically allow for the entire organization to have visibility into what's happening with recalls, what notices are coming in, what's being done, how it's all being tracked. And what we've done is create it's a, a process by which for every step you're taking without having anything, any additional actions to be done, everything is being documented and tracked and, and put into this database where later you can report back to the Joint Commission or to any other authority that comes in asking, what did you do for a particular recall? What actions were taken? Who was involved, right? All of these different things. Um, and I would say, lastly, that means, uh, Matt, uh, and this has been verified with, with providers using Notosphere, we will typically end up reducing the amount of work that's uh, done in checking inventory locations and all this stuff by a magnitude of 5x. So 80% of the work goes away. It's, uh, it's really interesting that because I didn't realize this, but uh, JCO, the Joint Commissions, um, what uh, my understanding is, and this is, you know, feel free to paint a picture here, is that going back to the uh, hospital that I mentioned up front, the uh, Baptist Health uh, Hospital in, in Arkansas, like, so this Joint Commission, right? So, so what my understanding is, is that they go to these hospitals and then they're like, cool, so talk to me about your recall process. Um, and what they're doing is they, they, they're looking at all sorts of things around the hospital and its operations. But in the recall space, specifically as an example, they're looking to score the effectiveness of the hospital in terms of its ability to manage uh, the recall process. So, they, you know, if you get a one out of 10, for instance, or one out of five, um, it's not as uh, it can actually be harmful to the reputational score of that hospital. Um, so. So what's the uh, what has the feedback been from the joint commissions, as an example, specifically as it relates to the enablement of a let's just say a future fit recall process for a hospital? What is the 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 kind of regulatory feedback been on the outcome? You know, so, and I will. So so this one, I'll 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 uh, before I say this, I'll clarify by saying obviously I'm basing my comments on the experience that we've had. Uh, that I've heard directly from our provider users, right? So, so this is not the Joint Commission um, at, at any point making a statement on notice here itself, but rather uh, visiting one of our provider user organizations and requesting information around their processes and procedures around recalls, and then seeing how it was all documented through Notosphere, and uh, you know, and it was actually great. Uh, the the feedback was incredibly positive. They they said they were pretty impressed with how clean um, and smooth, the, you know, and clear the whole process was and how easy it was to follow. Um, so, so much so that we ended up doing a case study with uh, Baptist Health Arkansas, right? So that that made me very happy because obviously uh, when, the, when the Joint Commission, and, and the Joint Commission obviously looks at a bazillion things, Right. Um, but they have been asking more and they have been focusing more on recalls, probably because they've become pervasive. Right. They, they've grown so much in number and scope that it now becomes one of those things where you just need to look at. Um, 
And I would say anybody that today has a process that's either based on keeping records on paper binders or, um, you know, sometimes having to look in emails to see who did what or whatever, they probably would want to consider a platform that goes a little further than that. So, uh, Guillermo, please could you uh, spend a minute or two just uh, for our audience uh, painting a picture of how hard has this problem been to actually solve? Because I know you guys have raised over $6 million in funding, so clearly uh, you know, you, what you're doing is of value. But from an entrepreneurial perspective, how hard has this actually been? Yeah, you know, I think if it wasn't hard, it would have been, you know, this would have been solved decades ago, Matt. So obviously, um, I, I think there's no great opportunity to make a difference unless there is sacrifice and, and hard work, right? Anything that's easy has already been done, or, or at some point, somebody took a stab at it. For us, I think the key is, if you think about it, we need to bring both manufacturers and distributors and providers to the table, right? That's not necessarily an easy thing to do. Um, because not only are you bringing them to the table, but then you're saying, and now we're all going to operate in the same way when it comes to this. Uh, for us, it's taken you know some time, but um, it, it, and and you know it's this chicken or the egg thing. Uh, more importantly, I think what the challenge has been is changing the mindset of folks that have been doing things in the same way for you know forty plus years, right? So the problem is. When you present somebody with a new approach, instinctively, it sounds intriguing and interesting, but then there's also this fear of, you know, the, the, the risk aversion that kicks in too, right? And so it's almost like a survival mode instinct that jumps in and says, well, we've been doing this for 40 years in, in a particular way. Do I need to be the one to change it today, right? What you find, I always say, you know, it's like a population curve. You have the early adopters that do want to change the industry and are willing to take, you know, the first few steps, roll up their sleeves and do it. You have the middle of the, you know, of that bell curve that basically says, well, as long as a few folks are doing it and they're succeeding with it, I'll take the plunge. And then you have obviously the, the tail end of it, right? I think right now we are past the uh, early adopters. And into you know the growth of the curve, the middle of the curve, um, but it has taken some effort, right? And and most of it is not so much changing our approach, but rather changing our messaging so that we can say things or communicate things to people in a way that it becomes clear for them to understand what we're doing, as opposed to getting frustrated, which happens if you don't have the right message, and they'll say, "Well, call me when everything is done." Hmm. Right. When, when when everybody's already using it, then call me. Um, so it's been a lot of work, but I actually think today we we are uh, well on our way now. Yeah, it's uh, the the classic crossing the chasm. Mm -hmm. da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually I think what what happens, Matt, is also um, when a concept is totally new, people tend to initially, you know, the first we always talk about the elevator pitch, right? But what I found with Notice Fear is initially, every time you'd say, well, we're changing the way the recalls are working, they would say, oh, so you're like, and they would mention one of the current solution providers that have been in place for you know a couple of decades. 
And I'd be, you know, we'd be like, no, we just told you we're changing. It's totally different, radically different. Right. And what we realized is it's very difficult for, for, you know, human beings to just switch it, you know, flip a switch in, in a second. They need to hear things seven times, get used to the idea that something is totally different, then really understand it. And then at that point, you can have the right conversation, I think. Yeah, I think uh, I call it the point of view. So I think it's it's kind of like, you know, so I guess you, you, you get obvious solutions to obvious problems. So as an example, you have a recall process that's using an obvious, right, solution mm-hmm. so uh, to the obvious problem of recall. So like, well, we FedEx it. So now you come along and you go, well, you've got an obvious problem. Now, instead of using an obvious solution, we now have a non-obvious approach to solving that. So there's actually a lot more value in the non-obvious work of a startup or of a business in general because you're promising a transformation or some kind of experience. So, or thinking that allows a fundamental shift going from A to B. So, and this is the rub. So the rub is, the point of view, and it's another way to uh, articulate it historically for for something that's maybe more familiar to people is like there's this positioning job, right? So it's kind of like, well, how do you position what we do to a niche uh, that's small enough to lead but big enough to matter in the early majority? Um, and this is a, this is the challenge, right? It's like, cool. Well, you know, we've built, we've got early adoption, we've raised capital. I know you guys are going into your next raise uh, soon uh, in Q1. Uh, probably um, and uh, and so you know to get the majority to actually shift it's it's this idea like you described of like well what is this point of view that we're now going to go to market with so that you know we can get yeah. the kind of adoption that we want here's the problem my experience uh, the problem is is that people don't they like to talk about change they don't want to actually change this is what you said uh, <laughs> yeah. right so like um uh, it's they 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 want to feel like they can it's like i can get a six pack right but i'm not actually gonna get, <laughs> yes. i'm not actually gonna get there so you sound like a fitness program right I, i've heard of that like no dude no we're right. not a fitness program we're a fundamental shift in who you are as a person and how you do your shit every single day you know what I mean? Yep. And so to your point, it, it's the point of view that has to be compelling enough. And where I find uh, a lot of startups go wrong and entrepreneurs go wrong, I'd love to get your view on this, is is they they talk too much about the product feature set. So it's like, well, you can uh, you can reduce 80% of the time of the healthcare workers on the floor. And, you know, we can track everything at, the, at every stage of, from a warehouse. And it's like, okay, that's great. That's that's really interesting, yeah. but you sound like a, a, a recall process that I've used, you know, or you sound like WhatsApp. So you saying right. like you WhatsApp. So you see, so the 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 positioning around the product is one job, but then there's the whole point of view, dude, that says, listen, yeah, <laughs> we're gonna yeah. change the way that recalls are done in the entire North America and then the whole of the world. So like features aren't gonna get you there. You know right. what I'm saying? So, so think about it this way, right? In our case, one of the things we looked at is a lot of healthcare provider organizations are using uh, feeds, 
provided by by what we call broadcasters, right? And what that means is, and, and these were created, you know, 15 plus years ago as a means to help hospitals make sure they weren't going to miss out on something. And that was, you know, back in the day when uh, obviously if you have 20 hospitals and a letter shows up on hospital number 18, but you're physically in hospital number one, things get a little tricky, right? As things have grown and the number of recalls has grown and everything's evolved, this has become quite a problem for providers because now they're dealing with this this fire hose of information, right? Um, and in order to determine in a way to properly use that data now, they look at their own PO history, they look at what they ordered, et cetera. Here's the problem with that. That's been adopted today by pretty much any organization that gets these feeds. That's not necessarily 100% accurate, not even close, right? At best, you're at 70%, and that's at best. But it makes people feel good. I have a process, and it's and this is what we do, right? And it's better than doing nothing at all. Of course, it's better than doing nothing at all. When you start talking to those folks and you start pointing out some of the kind of obvious weak spots in that process, some of the weak links, you get them thinking, right? And and that's when later you go, there are different ways of solving that. There's a way to address that. And then you explain it. And this is why typically I think in, you know, early on in, a, in the process of a startup like ours, the, the initial conversations take a little longer than just a 30-minute sales pitch. That's not what it's about, right? It's more of a philosophical discussion around why the stuff we've been doing for two decades or three decades isn't cutting it anymore. And, you know, and that requires time. And obviously, the you have to also offer the folks talking with you the ability to digest that, to understand exactly what you're pointing out, right? Um, so... I, that's why I enjoy a lot of times, you know, forums where I get to sit down and talk with people for a while, um, because you, I'd, I'd much rather have a conversation where we talk about philosophically how we solve this, rather than let me throw you a sales pitch with seven slides and tell you to sign on the dotted line. You know, not not that we sell. You know, we're free to hospitals anyway, so it's not like we're selling to hospitals. But still, you you're still convincing somebody to change a process, right? Which is Probably just as hard. Yeah, because it because it doesn't affect just them. It affects, you know, I don't know, 10 other people in the delivery oh, yeah. of like, I don't know, like, so like from the time that a patient's admitted to like, you know, da, 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 to the time that they check out, like imagine how many processes and people and suppliers and data points and technologies are like touched on, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a complex sale. So I hear you on like the, the, the philosophical conversation, I think is a good one. Who are the innovators in a hospital today? Um, you know, I would say that given what's happened in the last two years, two years and change, supply chain and sourcing are clearly innovating in healthcare today. And I mean, at the hospital, right on the provider side, those folks have had to get really resourceful and really creative. And if you think about it, for for at least the first year and a half of of COVID, um, the the their um, need to get creative had to do with how do I ensure I have the right supplies in the hospital so that we can take care of patients, right? And and if you re- if you remember, um, PPE was the big thing, but at the end of the day, a lot of supplies were being disrupted, right? It wasn't just gloves and masks; it was a whole bunch of different things. 
Um, you know, now we're at a point where those issues, PPE, I think is, you know, every hospital out there has more than enough. Uh, probably some have more than they need at this point, right? Because they they made sure to to stock up. But they're having other challenges, right? Back orders are a big issue. Uh, you know, communication with manufacturers around why the supply chain or when the supply chain will have certain items available. Um, you know, I, this one, I think, is one that uh, the regular, um, you know, uh, guys out there that don't have to do with supply chain can relate to. Right. It, all of us have ordered something in the last year that was supposed to get home in seven days to find out it wasn't showing up for another month and a half either because it was in a ship somewhere outside the port of Los Angeles or uh, China factories were closed, right? Um, these things have had hospitals too. I mean, it, it's fascinating to me how people a lot of times don't think about the amount of supplies a hospital consumes on a daily basis, right? It's enormous when you think about it. I mean, next time, next time, you're in, God forbid, you have to go to the hospital, right? Because I always tell people, stay out if you absolutely can. But if you're in there, start counting the stuff that any nurse is using to take care of you. It's it's crazy in a good way, right? I mean, obviously, they do a great job, but it's a lot of supplies. So I would say those are the innovators today. Um, you know, historically, that hadn't been the case, right? Supply chain was not considered kind of the the strategic thing years ago today i think it's very different yeah it's uh it is all about supply chain i mean i speak i've spoken a lot to founders and a lot of them interestingly that you get hardware and software founders and this is probably a good point to maybe double click on in terms of like recalls hardware and software um i found that when i talk to a founder most of the hardware stuff uh to not only create in to not only create in the first place, but also to ensure it can scale. It's like, I mean, it's just, a you could put a 10x, you spoke about like multiple. So like a 10x degree of difficulty and complexity in hardware. And so like a nurse, right? So all of the different supplies, hardware supplies she has to deal with. And then you've got the software stuff that runs the hospital itself billing, uh, patient uh, logs, records, doctor check-ins, nurse check-ins, payroll, policies, process, like, so now you've got this incredible, this incredibly complex uh, operation that has been doing things the same way for so long that it's all they've ever known. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, And, and, and in fact, if you think about it, and as you know, software moves quickly, right? And the updates on, on say, <clears throat> enterprise software for patient records, et cetera, that stuff evolves fairly quickly. But what you see now a lot is, you know, you'll go to the doctor to see your PCP and they come in with uh, somebody that's taking notes and typing them into Epic, for example, right? Um, because if, you know, when you look at the amount of stuff you got to go click and document, um, there's no way... A doctor can pay attention to what you're saying, look at you in the eyes, have a proper conversation with you, which is what we all want as patients, and at the same time do everything they need to do, documenting and right, keeping track of everything. So, I mean, I see it now more and more. Every time I go to the doctor for a follow-up or whatever, uh, there's two people in the room with me, and one of them is just literally typing in a keyboard, right? Um, so 
things get complex more and more. I actually like the you know the fact that we took a we we almost wanted to reverse things. We basically said let's create a very simple system. Simple doesn't mean non-effective. And simple doesn't mean that it doesn't provide an enormous amount of value. Simple means you don't need a week to learn it. You don't need more than 30 minutes to learn how this works. It's very intuitive and you know you can you can be off to the races. Because the idea is folks already have enough, right? Like if there's somebody that's definitely going to have the, you know, 80% of the raffles, uh, raffle tickets to be burnt out is supply chain folks today, given, given everything that's happened. So the last thing they need is somebody like me showing up saying, I got a great solution for you, but it's going to take you two weeks to learn. And then you're going to have to, you know, do God knows what. Um, we've created something that's incredibly easy, incredibly easy, and we're always asking ourselves: Can we actually even make it simpler? Can we make it less clicks? Can we, you know, um, we, we've now gotten to the point where we're rolling out uh, self uh, self used training videos that last thirty minutes, and with that, folks can onboard themselves, right? Which which is a good sign that your platform's easy, hmm. right? Yeah, um, I think that's important. Um, I think, unfortunately, today, uh, and I joke with with my daughters about this a lot. I say the oldest I, the older I get, the more analog I become, right? Because everything's complex. Like I don't know you, I'm gonna go get the latest iPhone here in a few days. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to learn seventy percent of the new p- functionality that this thing is bringing, right? Because you don't have bandwidth anymore. Yeah. You know, so hospitals are no different. Doctors and nurses are no different. But this is the interesting opportunity also, right? Because uh, we're like we're like the last generation of native analogs, right? So your daughters um, and my kids are digital natives. So even in the management structures of hospitals, a lot of these uh, people are analog like natives they didn't start with digital so like you know as the workforce demographic changes holistically right yeah but specifically even in the hospital space like nurses will get younger right doctors will get you know like they they suddenly the average age of the doctor in a hospital is not like 72 even though they're probably the best doctors you can get it's just getting younger and so as the the way that they use technology is more uh, you know native to them so the adoption curve gets shortened and then as a consequence of that the way that the whole thing you know operationalizes also becomes more efficient for sure i mean if you think about it um i remember when i was i don't know maybe 14 15 right uh we had vcrs i don't think my dad ever learned how to program one, right it was but for us, it became pretty, it was very intuitive, right? Once you learned how to do one, all of the other ones, even though they were slightly different, could easily be managed. And I think that's what's happening today. My 18-year-old daughter can figure out any app on the iPhone 20 times faster than I ever will. And she will be showing me functionality in there that I'll be surprised about because I had no idea. And she'll be looking at me like, how could you not know? And the answer is, well... Because you are used to this now. This is the way you, you know, everything comes into you now. That wasn't the case for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're right. I mean, I'm I'm hoping um, what it really means is 
not so much that that humans are always trying to catch up with evolution of software and, and tools, but rather than that eventually things even out and the humans are able to keep up with it, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially in healthcare. Guillermo, you spoke about philosophical conversations earlier. Like, what's your hope here? I mean, what does the vision look like for, for Notosphere? What kind of, you know, real-world change are you hoping to deliver? You know, I actually, for me, the goal is really, has always been um, avoiding or helping the industry avoid affecting patients when there's an opportunity for it. In other words, if a, if a, if a device fails, but there is no known recall or, or, or it's the first time it fails, we can do very little at that point to help that particular patient, right? I mean, that is, he, he or she becomes kind of the warning signal or the, the first beacon, right? But at one point or another, if there are enough beacons, then there is a recall. And we should, at that point, be able to have a system that says, going forward from this moment on, not a single patient will be affected by this. Today, that is not the case, right? Um, but we do, as a society, have the means to actually accomplish that. That's the objective. The objective is to speed it all up. And by the way, to do it in a way that, that makes the lives of the folks that are taking care of patients easier, Right. So today there are nurses being asked to go check inventory on the floors of the hospital multiple times a day. If you're a nurse and you went to nursing school, you didn't go to nursing school in the hopes that you'd be checking inventory. That's just not it. Right. That that's not the drive. The drive is caring for patients. So if I can help um, reduce the time a nurse is going to spend dealing with all this other stuff, that's also a great a great objective. Right. But patient safety, obviously, is number one. Amazing stuff. Um, Guillermo, um, thank you for being on the show. It's been a, a real privilege having you all here. Um, the website's notosphere.com, guys, for more information. Um, any final words of wisdom from your side, Guillermo? You know, um, <clears throat> the only thing I would say is anybody listening that does deal with recalls or, a, or you know, in, in any way, shape, or form at a healthcare provider organization, and it doesn't matter how small or big they are. So it could be a clinic, a doctor's office, or a hospital, or a health system. Um, I encourage you to really think through what your process is today and could, could it actually be improved? Um, because we are changing the way this is done, and we're doing it with no pain for the providers at all. I mean, it's very simple. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, right? Like typically we go, well, if the value is great, the effort should be great. And that certainly applies to us. But I do take pride in making sure that we provide a lot of value with very, very little effort. Amazing stuff. Guillermo Ramos, everybody. Thank you for being on the show, dude. Uh, thank you for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you again soon. Ciao. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much. Take care. <laughs> Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients 
clients, Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.